Welcome to Season 2 of History, Books, and Wine. We're your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey and Eliza Knight. We love sharing, so pour a glass of vino, and let's dive into the past. Today, we're excited to have a guest joining us, author Catherine Levesque. On this episode, we'll be talking about the medieval border between Scotland and England, the daily life of knights and ladies, as well as arranged marriage. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So we are so excited you. to have you. Yeah. Looks so good. This is gonna be good. <laughs> it is going to be good. Before we dive into this intriguing episode, what are we drinking? Catherine, why don't you go first? Uh, you know what? I'm super boring, especially at 10 o'clock in the morning on, <laughs> on a Friday. I'm super boring. So um, I'm drinking seltzer water. That's what I'm Oh, I love seltzer. I, know, I love I do seltzer too. water too. I do too. I do too. And I'm real connoisseur about it. So, you know, there's certain brands I won't touch. There's certain brands I will touch. I know. Same. I'm like, yeah. a, instead of a wine snob, I'm a seltzer water You're snob. You're a seltzer so snob. There you, yeah. there you go. Hey, we all have our thing. with that. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so today I am drinking uh, a Cabernet Sauvignon called Curious Beast. And I picked this one up in honor of Catherine because it is from California. And I know that's Woo-hoo! where she is right now. It's a really pretty uh, dark bottle with purple skeletons dancing around on it. And I'm excited to try it. Yay! And also, <laughs> it's funny, we were recording an episode last week and Eliza had the same bottle. Yep. So. <laughs> We have the same taste. I was going to say, so do you select, okay, so do you select the bottles based on just the label? So if it's like a gorgeous label, you'll be like, yeah, I'm going to try that no matter how cheap it is or whatever. (laughs) Labels, titles. Yeah, sometimes I do, like, um, but I also try to tailor them to the podcast we're doing. Yeah. Ah. So I get skeletons. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it is from California. But that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Uh, the one I'm drinking today is a Pinot Noir, and it is called Inscription, which I also thought was appropriate mm. for, you know, writers and stuff. Yeah. Very nice. Yes. All right. So we're going to dive right into our questions. For those unfamiliar with medieval Scotland and the turbulent disputes with neighboring England, can you give us a little bit about information about what it was like living in the borderlands and, you know, just what that might have looked like for people? You know, it's interesting you should ask that because I'm currently writing a book right now, which is releasing in August. Of course, I fly by the seat of my pants a lot of times with my how, how soon I get my books done. But <laughs> yeah. um, I have a major family that lives in Northumbria, Northumberland. And mm-hmm. um, so that is and they have castles all along the Scottish border between Berwick and Carterbar, basically. So, you know, I think, and it's my belief, since I have written over 130 of these books, (laughs) that that the Scottish borders, first of all, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. They're just, it's a beautiful landscape. All along the River Tweed, gorgeous landscape. One of the the castles that I write about the most is, is called Norm Castle. 
and it's it's right there right on the river and i think you guys probably would know where it is it's right to the uh east of cold street mm -hmm. and um it literally sits on the river i write about that one a lot so to, to me in medieval england you know you, you've got a dichotomy here you've got the beautiful landscape they love this land the scots love the land the english love the land you've got that real dividing line there and but you've also got all of these signs of the turbulence of the borders, meaning there are all sorts of Pele castles everywhere. Peel castles, they're everywhere. Oh, yeah. Pele, but they're Peel. Mm -hmm. The Peel castles are everywhere. And then when you look at the castles themselves that are sitting there, they are really strong, stark, powerful castles because they're they're waiting for that that Scottish incursion. They're waiting for the, the, the you know the reavers to come. They're they're just really, um, I, so I think it's a very dangerous and a very beautiful area. So that's, mm -hmm. that's really my take. I would From agree with side. you. On the English <laughs> side, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the Scots would also believe that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too, I do too. You know, because across the border, um, especially where I write, you know, where the River Tweed and you, you've got the North, you know, all the North and Scotland in there, there aren't a lot of castles north right where i yeah. normally write you know you got a lot of them that are on the west side you've got further up towards edinburgh but there aren't a lot where i write uh yeah but there are definitely the peel towers they're they're all over the place that's cool so what was um the daily life of a medieval knight like you know this is this is my area of expertise so i can tell yes. you but i can also <laughs> tell you what i create you know Caroline Lee is, an, is another author who writes medieval stuff and her and, and her whole thing is if you can't prove it didn't happen, if you can't prove that it didn't happen, then maybe it did. So I mm -hmm. kind of live a lot by that. So a medieval <laughs> like night basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you can't prove it didn't happen, then it did. So, um, <laughs> and I think she's got like two history degrees. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going with that. Yeah. Uh, that whatever makes you say, I'm going with that. <laughs> so a medieval night actually, um, they did have a very labor-intensive life. So let's say, let's start in the morning. So they wake up in the morning. Now, for medieval people, and I'm sure you guys know this, especially for the, the men, the noblemen, the knights, the warriors, eating breakfast wasn't a thing. Only sick people and weaklings ate breakfast. So they really rarely broke their fast. Sometimes mm -hmm. they did, but, you know, not normally. Labor-intensive as in, yeah, they had squires. They had people to kind of manage their household and stuff for them. But... The, at least the ones I write about, and most of the good ones, they really kind of did their own thing. Like, they checked on their own horses. Um, they didn't feed them, but they checked on their horses. They checked on their own equipment. There's a lot of equipment repairing. There's a lot of, you know, making sure that your walls are still solid. Like, something didn't happen during the night. Like, somebody tried to undermine your walls. You might check the place. So, you know, it's a lot of managerial skills is really what mm. it is. And, and that's what they were trained for. Medieval knights were not trained for mostly what they considered scholarly and clerical things like writing and reading yeah. and, you know, I mean, doing math, you know, that kind of thing. They were more on the applicable, applicable side, you know. The very hands-on. The yeah. hands-on stuff, exactly. So, you know, the guys I write about, they, of course, they manage empires and, and they have, mm -hmm. you know, big armies at their disposal. But... I think that a medieval knight really had 
a lot of responsibility. And, it's, and it really depends, I think, on the area too, like the area of England. Like if you're in Northumberland, you're concerned with the Scots. You know, yeah. you're always concerned with security, protecting your family, making sure you have enough food, you know, that kind of thing. But if you're in the South in London, what are you worrying about? You know, if you're in London and you're a knight, you're, pol you're political. That's what you're worried Ooh, about. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. I think that that it really depends on the area. It, it depends on, you know, the kind of castle you have, or maybe you have a liege who says, okay, this is your duty. You make sure that, you know, you train all of the new recruits or whatever. So I, I think it's really dependent upon a lot of different factors. So, you know, it makes that, a lot of sense. It does. And I was just thinking like, even like within modern terms, we still have people like that, you know, like our military and our police officers yeah. and even like electronic things like the ring on my front door is like managing exactly. the outside of my house to make sure no one's going to rob me. You're checking your walls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I will it's never very look at my ring the same way. It is nice. <laughs> you need to. Yeah, we got to rename the ring. Serving. It's your gatehouse. That's your gatehouse, man. It is. <laughs> it totally is your gatehouse. Hey, history lovers, Eliza here. We're interrupting today's happy hour to let you know that Lori and I host another fascinating podcast with our friend, Brenna Ash. Hey there, this is Brenna. Crime Feast is a true crime podcast hosted by three friends who are obsessed with all things crime. Each week, join Brenna, Eliza, and I as we serve up a platter of murders, mayhem, missing persons, tragedies, and more. Feast on notorious tales ripped from today's headlines and resurrected from the past. Until then, stay safe out there. We don't want you on the menu next. Now, back to the show. Cheers! So, building off of this, what was the daily life of a medieval lady like? It was harder than the man, by far. Same, um, so same as now. Yeah, yeah. yeah same <laughs> as now. It's exactly, your job is harder than your husband's. Exactly. You know, a, a medieval woman from the beginning, like when she was real little, I mean, she was, if you're, and I'm talking about noble women here, they're very trained for many different aspects. Now, this is where you're going to run into the women that need to know sums. They got to manage the household. They got to oh, yeah. know how much food they have, their stores, you know, so this is where you're getting into people that actually know, I want to say clerical stuff, because it really is clerical stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. you are managing your food stores, you're managing your your uh, employees, and many, uh, or servants, or slaves, or whatever you've got you know, at this point, but you're also managing money. I mean, a lot of times the knights, if they had a wife, the wife kind of, you know, she knew what was in the coffers and she, you know, she had to pay for stuff. Right. So, you know, a medieval woman's, a noble woman's job was very, very all-inclusive and even more of a managerial position than a knight's was because she's running that whole household and she is expected to know many, she's expected to know everybody's job, first of all. I mean, that's one thing. She's got to know the cook's job. She's got to know, you know, the maid. She's got to know, you know, people that are doing laundry or whatever. She's got to know that so she can actually manage them. So mm -hmm. um, these, you know, when, when you had a noble girl and she went to go foster at home, she's getting trained in all this different stuff. So 
you know, people that say, oh yeah, noble women sat around and, and did uh, embroidery. No, they did not. They did not. They absolutely did not. You know, and then you also had women who liked to write. And, you know, there's a, a woman in the 14th century. She Her name was Christine, and she was French, and she wrote a an actual household management book. You know, this oh, wow. is what a wife should be. This is how she should be. And, you know, it was very, very um, not female empowered because it's like a woman. Yeah. I was husband, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, do we blame you, Christine? Yes, no. you. It's your. It's all the, the fact that I had fault. to do my dishes an hour ago. It's Christine's Dang fault. It. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's all her fault. So anyway, back to the question. Uh, medieval women had they they really had a lot of work. They really yeah. did. So, like I, you know, like it seems exciting to think about time travel and going back and like putting on the clothes and <laughs> attending a feast. But the actual daily life, I would never, ever want to do. <laughs> you don't want to do that. First of all, you no. don't want to put on the clothes because they've got dirt. So hot. You know, oh, they yeah, have bugs. Gross. <laughs> they got bugs. And then you don't want to go to a feast because there's no USDA. Oh. You check the beef. So you got maggots in your beef, but Ew. they boiled it so you wouldn't know it. Yeah, exactly. So, so oh, what's that crunch? I was just thinking. <laughs> That's Ooh. right. <laughs> I, went, I went grocery shopping yesterday and grocery oh. shopping for my family. I mean, there's six oh of us gosh. here. Yeah. You know, that's daunting to me. I can't imagine, you know, figuring mm -hmm. out the stores for oh, everybody right. at the castle. Hundreds yeah, of people. Sure. Yeah. That's crazy. And hundreds of people. You got to feed, you got to feed the soldiers. You got to feed your family. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. I wouldn't want to do it. No way. So, yeah. Nope. The first time I used Instacart was with my sister. We were baking cookies and I'd forgotten the butter. Instacart to the rescue. Now I even use it when we're on vacation so our staples are delivered right to our door. Save yourself that trip to the market. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. They connect you with personal shoppers in your area to shop and deliver groceries from your favorite stores. Follow the link in our show notes and that lets Instacart know we sent you and help support our show. Plus, you'll get free delivery on your first order over $35. There's multiple stores available in most areas. Shop all your favorites on a single order. The products you love from local stores. Hand selected by shoppers based on your preferences. Delivery to your door in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. Find everything you usually buy and get smart suggestions for new items. They pick the freshest produce and keep your eggs safe too. Let Instacart shop for you. So marriage for those nobly born wasn't often for love. Can you talk a little bit about medieval marriage arrangements? Medieval marriage arrangements, I mean, there are instances, documented instances of marriages for love. You mm -hmm. know, she loved him, she married him, but mostly they were property i mean women were chattel yeah. you know and you and and i think it's the same thing in scotland you know i mean you're you're mm -hmm. marrying because it strengthens your alliance you know you're marrying right. because he's got a lot of wealth and your family does it and you you know you kind of need a piece of that or conversely he's marrying you because you're an heiress and he has nothing right but he's you got a good family name work. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah you know but here's my money is, and i'll take care of you <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I will do everything for you, but here, take my money. But, yeah. you know, a woman was known by her marriage. A, a woman was either a widow, a wife, 
or she was basically going into a convent. I mean, there really wasn't anything else. So women were identified by their marriage. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a great thing for, for women back then. So being married for love, I mean, that was not a consideration. It just wasn't. Right. Um, although in my books, a lot of, you know, of course, they marry for love. Of but, course. Um, and yours too, you know. They yeah. marry for love. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is, is, and this went up through Regency times, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really did. It was, it was you married because it strengthened your family alliance. And, mm -hmm. and that was kind of it. Yeah. So I can't say that that was um, a great thing, but it was necessary. No, I totally agree that it was not a great thing, but also you could kind of see wanting to strengthen your alliances to, for safety. I mean, that was the thing. Oh, of course. And money, of course. And, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many reasons, yeah. <laughs> Glad we're not doing that today. So, <laughs> Me too, because that, that, that would have been a good thing. Hello, listeners. This is Lori. And I'm here to tell you that podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. We use Buzzsprout, and it's hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. You'll get a great looking podcast website, detailed analytics, and more. Following the link in our show notes, let's Buzzsprout know that we sent you. Get you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and help support our show. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Why don't you tell us three fun facts you discovered during research? This is one of our favorite things to ask our guest authors because we yes. just love to pick your brain. Well, here's the interesting thing. Because I have read or written so many medieval books, I really mm -hmm. don't research anymore because it's like I already know. Yeah, so it's in your brain. Yeah, it's in my brain already. So, you know, that's kind of the, the curse of an author who, you know, like you guys know, like Scotland. You know, you you guys don't really do a lot of research because you already know pretty much what's going on. The only specific stuff that I research are maybe actual people oh, and uh -huh. actual events, sure. um, things like that. So, you know, as far as three fun things that I've discovered, maybe years ago I could tell you that and go, "Ooh, I discovered this." But now, yeah. like one. Okay, so I will tell you one of the fun things that I did discover. Okay, so back this is probably a few years ago when I wrote a book called La Spada, which was the name of this guy's sword. I researched the Battle of Luz, and that is um, that was a battle between then Prince Edward I and Henry the, who was it? I forget what it is now. But anyway, the point is Battle of Luz is a really interesting battle because mm -hmm. they they stayed, Prince Edward was his captive and the re rebels staged this, this escape for him that is worthy of a Hollywood plot. Oh, so I love that. If you, yeah, it's really cool. They, I mean, they dressed him up, you know, differently and, and just kind of snuck him out of there, but it's really kind of an interesting battle. So the Battle of Luz, L-E-W-E-S, is a very interesting um, battle. And back in the day, I was like, oh man, I should write about this because it was such a cool event. Yeah. It was just very, very cool. But I will say in general with medieval, and I think you guys can probably attest to this too, sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. 
Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, it, it really is. You read it and you go, wow. What? <laughs> what the heck did it, you know, what the heck happened there? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm just kind of thinking, okay, what has, what has really stood out at me in my research in the past few years? Nothing really, but I will tell you this. I just wrote a couple of um, Regency novellas and I don't know Regency very well. And so I've had to do a lot of research about Regency. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that the thing that struck me about Regency is how rigid everything was. Oh just yeah. So rigid, you know, and I'm just like, are you kidding me? Because yeah. I, when I wrote this novella, I, I went into it with, with the usual medieval mentality, which is hard hitting and blah, 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 you know, and people, you know, blood and guts and the whole nine yards. And so I wrote it and I thought it was a great story. My editor calls me and he goes, you know what? This is a really great story for medieval England. What are you doing? I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. So, so you know, I, I think that research, it, it's just, to me, research in general is just, I love it, first of all. I mean, I've always been a history buff. Yeah, it's a you know, I don't Oh, exactly. Now, I don't consider myself a medieval expert. I consider myself a medieval student because I'm always, always learning stuff. I, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, my background's business. You know, that, that's, my, that's too. my, yeah, that's my <laughs> business. So, yeah, it's uh, all the rest of this is hobby stuff. And I know that's a really long answer for three, three great things that I've. No, I think it was great. Well, I think, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, so good. Okay. We are all authors, but we're also all readers. What are you currently reading? I'm not currently reading anything because I'm I'm on a deadline, but I will mm -hmm. tell you the most recent thing I read was, um, and this is one of my, my one of my favorite books um, at this point. Do you know who Pauline Gedge is? She's a yes. historical, yeah, she's a historical fiction author and she's Canadian. She's been around forever. She writes about, what. this is what's really interesting with my reading habits. I don't read in my genre. I, I really haven't in a long time because I find it kind of screws with my creative processes. Mm -hmm. I get that. So what I, yeah. yeah, exactly. So what I like to read is uh, a lot of historical fiction. I love to read about ancient Egypt. I love to Ooh. read Clive Cussler, action and adventure stuff, mm -hmm. uh, Lee Childs, that kind of thing. So I yeah. love to, to read this kind of thing. But the most recent thing I read was Pauline Gedge, Child of the Morning, which is the story of uh, Hatshepsut. Um, she was a, a queen of England, you know, 3,000 years ago, which, and she ended up actually being a pharaoh for a while. Um, so it's a true story of like ancient female empowerment, but also the consequences of what happened when she, she did do that. So I find historical fiction really, really fascinating. So that's uh -huh. really what I love to read. I do too. Yeah, good. Um, so where can readers find you? Oh, well, they can Google me and um, I'll pop You're up. You're everywhere. <laughs> I'm everywhere. No, I'm everywhere, like God. Um, actually, uh, they can go to my website, www.catherinelevesque.com, and that's spelled L-E-V-E-Q-U-E.com. And um, they can find out what I'm doing, what's coming up, and all sorts of fun things. And I will actually be at the Historical Romance Retreat. Oh, we just had someone September. else that's going to be there as well. Heather McCall. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
that's going to be a nice a nice little uh, get together of historical romance authors. And we're going to miss you guys. I know. I wish we Maybe could one too. year. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I know. I know. They tend to have them pretty much on the West Coast, which is good for the West Coast people, but not great for yeah. you know you guys. East Coasters. <laughs> East yeah. Coasters. I know. I know. You need to have all cons right down the middle of the country. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I agree. You know, that would yeah. be so much easier. It would be. So, really um, be. before we wrap up, you really quick, you said you're working on a book for your deadline. Which book are you working on? Right now, I'm working on, working on a book called Battle Wolf, and it's uh, a continuation of my biggest series, my Dwarf Pack series. And oh, uh, fun! Yeah, yeah, and we're we're right on the Scots border today. As a matter of fact, oh yeah, back to the Scots border when I'm done with you. <laughs> So um, perfect conversation. Perfect <laughs> conversation. I'm working on a, a the location today is a place called Wark Castle, W A R K. Oh, and fun. it's just pre- yeah, it's pretty much ruins right now, but back in the day it used to be like a, a nice little outpost. So that's where awesome. we're at. <laughs> we wish you luck in your writing today thank and you. thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you guys. You know, I mean we're we're friends from way back anyway. So yes. It's kind of like a nice little chat, but it was but fun. You, it was, but thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It was our pleasure. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode with guest Catherine Levesque. Tune in next week as I dive into the haunted history of Slane's Castle. On the schedule, we have Amy Runyon coming on to chat about the School for German Brides, and I'll be back on November 8th to talk about a failed attempted coup by Hitler and the Nazi party, and then one of the many almost assassination attempts on his life. Oh, yay. yay. Have a great Thanks week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so Bye. much. For more information about today's episode, click on the show notes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HistoryBKSWine for additional historical tidbits and updates. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our episodes published weekly on Tuesdays. Until next time. Cheers! And happy reading. <laughs>